you for being friendly, and uh, have a seat, please. It's so good to be with you this morning here at Sandusky Campus. If you're watching by video, welcome to you, and we're going to be looking at God's Word in just a few moments. Um, I want to draw your attention to a couple of things going on in the life of the church on the screen. Uh, first, the marriage, that's next weekend, hard to believe. The sign-up has been strong, but there's still some openings, and maybe you're engaged or thinking about marriage. Uh, this would be important. This is led by Greg and Aaron Smalley. His dad, Gary Smalley, um, did marriage conferences for years. In fact, years ago, my wife and I went to one led by Gary Smalley, and uh, it was phenomenal. And uh, so the name Smalley means something to us. Maybe I shared this with you before. When we lived in Stowe, across the street, our neighbors were the Smalleys. I always thought they were related in some way. Funny, next door to them were the Bigley families, the Smalleys and the Bigleys. I probably said that joke before, but it's true. Anyways, this is going to be great. Sign up this week, all right? Also on the screen, Renewed. Uh, it's a once-a-month thing for the ladies. This is, I know some of the story to this. Uh, well, I'll tell you about that in a second. But Mary Manuela is going to be, and she's got such a great heart, but she's going to be sharing with the ladies right here in this room what it means to have confidence, not just confidence, but what it means to have confidence in Christ. I mean, all of us here, that can be undermined so easily. How do you maintain your confidence in Christ through the ebbs and flows of life? And then after Mary, there's going to be a couple of ladies who will come up and share with the women here how they regained their confidence after they let their secret be known. You'll need to be here to find out more about that, all right? That's going to be a great time. Now, before we get on to the message, I have uh, an important and exciting video to show you. So, uh, oh, and I wanted to say this too, regarding the renewed, forgot this. If you have little children and uh, you want to have childcare, free childcare, just register by, it doesn't say it there, but just call in and let us know that you're bringing kids, all right? Now, important and exciting video. Let's watch the screen together. Here we go. Hey, Chapel family, Pastor Eric here. I'm with uh, Pastor Jeff Watson, and I'll introduce him in a moment to you. But over the last six months, uh, we have been looking for a new pastor, specifically looking for a pastor of spiritual growth and men's ministry, spiritual growth for groups and classes and following Jesus in a discipleship model, and then also men's ministry. We have a thriving women's ministry right now, we don't have enough for men's ministry. And so we looked around the country, and we were just not finding the right person. And lo and behold, God had somebody right in our backyard in Jeff Watson. So I want to introduce you to Jeff. So Jeff, tell us about you, your family, a little bit about your ministry history, too. All right. Well, thank you so much, Pastor Eric. Absolutely. I appreciate it very much. Uh, as Eric said, my name is Jeff Watson. I grew up in Worcester, Ohio. I uh, went off to The Ohio State University and uh, graduated from there with a degree in education. And then God called me into the ministry. So I went off to Ashland Seminary and then uh, worked at Church of the Savior uh, in Worcester as a youth pastor and missions evangelism coordinator there. And I uh, got a chance to meet my lovely bride at that point. And we've been married now 20 years. And we have two children, Alice, 14, and Silas, who just turned 10. And uh, yeah, I worked there for 19 years as the youth pastor and really enjoyed that. And then God called me up here to the uh, Norwalk, Sandusky area, and I worked at the Foundation Church uh, for nine and a half years. 
and uh, I'm excited about a new opportunity now here with the chapel. Yeah. Can't, can't wait to see what God's got in store. Well, we're grateful God brought you here, especially to our team. You're going to be teaching and you're going to be doing weddings and funerals just like a normal <laughs> pastor does. But again, I know your main role is going to be focusing on our community life here at the chapel with groups and classes and then kicking off a thriving men's ministry. So based on that, what are you looking forward to most in your role at the chapel? Yeah, yeah. I tell you what, I'm fired up for the men's ministry in particular. Yes. I'm a firm believer that men should be the spiritual leaders of their homes. And so I can't wait to try to, to really help the men in whatever way possible. Yeah. Uh, we know that uh, Proverbs says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. So my prayer is that the men will be sharpening each other and challenging and encouraging each other and loving on one another and just doing life yeah. with each other and uh, really stepping up to be the men that God's called us to be so we can lead our wives and our children in, in, a, in a real godly way. Yeah. Uh, in terms of the group's ministry, uh, I'm a firm believer that uh, the groups are a place where people can really just share their hearts and, and some of the pain, some of the hurt. I know over the last three years in particular, a lot of people have been hurting tremendously and so uh, the groups can be a place where they can just share some of those hurts and uh, have people that can pray with them and care for them uh, and also dig into God's word because we know that the Holy Spirit's going to be the the great counselor more than anyone and yeah. so as we as we dig into God's word and as we pray with each other and just do life with each other I think that's one of the best things um, and then understanding that we could be ministers of the gospel that yes some people are called to be pastors but all of us are called to be ministers of the gospel Absolutely. and and to think of different ways that uh, the groups can really minister uh, whether it's hospital calls at times or uh, just being able to serve the community in whatever way possible so I'm excited to kind of get the ball rolling yeah. and, and see what God's got in store well we're excited about Jeff being here you can sense his enthusiasm his heart for Jesus his love for people and so Todd and I are recommending that Jeff would be our next pastor and we put that out to the membership, so if you are a member, make sure you vote uh, over the next week or so. And if everything goes well, uh, you will see a uh, Jeff at a campus near you in the next couple of weeks since he's going to start officially March 13th, and we can't wait to have him. Thanks, Jeff. All right. Thank you, Eric. All right, Chapel family. Love you guys. Yeah, good. Good update. So I, I just want to be serious for, here for a moment. The qualities we looked for. Ohio State Buckeye. He had to match Pastor Eric's enthusiasm. Hey, do you know, uh, unlike the rest of the staff, I have known Jeff for, I think, more than 20 years when I was a pastor in Akron. He was a pastor in Worcester, and that's where we got to know each other, and I've always known Jeff to be one with a heart for God and a heart for people, and uh, if he can join our staff, it'll be awesome. If you want to grill him and ask him questions, he's seated right back there. I see you, Jeff. So after the service, you can get with him, all right? Hey, we're going to get on to the message in just a second, but would you allow me to, to pray for us? Let's, let's pray together. God, thank you for this time. To now, uh, now that we've sung to you, you speak to us through your word. Would you find our hearts, our minds open to what you have to say? Thank you. We want to be the people you've called us to be. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. And at the end of the service, we're going to have communion together. So if you did not get a communion cup on the way in, you can slip to the back and, and grab one, all right? Um, so last weekend, we finished this, our study in Paul's letter to the Galatians. And uh, in just weeks to come, well, there's 
there's spring, which is awesome, and then there's Easter preceded by Good Friday. Between now and Easter and Good Friday, we are going to be looking at a portion. Let me get out my clicker here. We're going to be looking at a portion of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. He wrote three letters from prison, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. We're not going to look at all of Ephesians. We're going to look at just the last chapter and the theme of, uh, it should be up there somewhere. There we go, armor of God. That's what we're going to be talking about. Um, And before we get into that, I want to give you just sort of a a little background to to Paul's letter to the Ephesians, how he organized it. It's organized very similar to Philippians and Colossians. The the first half of his letter is very rich, deep theology. You know, this is what we believe. This is in whom we believe. Uh, We believe in Jesus Christ who gives us peace with God by God's grace through faith in Christ alone. He gives us peace with God. That's the first three chapters, theology. But at chapter four, he switches uh, to application. If this is what we believe, if this is the one in whom we believe, then this is how we should live it out. And starting at chapter four, at a number of places, he actually uses a word uh, for to walk. This is how you are to walk out your faith in Christ. Most translations use the word live. This is how you are to live out your faith in Christ. Apply what you believe. Walk it out. Live it out. But then you come to chapter 6, around verse 11, and no longer does he use the verb walk. He uses the verb stand. Not just stand, but stand firm. And not just stand firm, but stand firm against the enemy who seeks to undo your relationship with God, to keep you away from Christ. When you become a Christ follower, you, we, we become a target. And the enemy of God seeks to keep people away from Jesus, but those who are Christians, he seeks to keep us from walking with and living out our faith. But God has not left us without resources to stand strong and firm against our enemy. And this is what Paul writes in chapter 6. A final word. That means until Jesus comes again or until you see Jesus, live this way. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of armors, God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm. And then Paul goes on to explain, talk about the different pieces of armor, which we'll be looking at over the next few weeks. What I would like to do in our time together is uh, explore the nature and character of our enemy so we know who our opponent is who we are up against, and why we need these pieces of armor, and why we should pray. Um, I know it's true in football. It's maybe true in other sports as well. But my memory is the week before we would face an opposing team on the field, we would watch film. 
We would watch film of the opposing team, of our opponent, so we know who we are up against on the field. Paul doesn't use film, but he uses a burst of words to help us understand not our upcoming opponent, but our ongoing opponent. And so what we're going to look at is the, is the middle part of what we just read first. And, and this is how it goes. This is what we just read a, a moment ago. Stand firm against all strategies of the devil, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So from those words, we can say at least three things. Paul tells us at least three, three, three things about our opponent, our adversary, our enemy. And the first one is the devil is the lead enemy. Um, he is a real personal being, also goes by the name Satan. Maybe you're more familiar with that. Satan comes from a Hebrew word, and it means adversary. He's found throughout the Old Testament, but he's especially apparent in the New Testament. He is the one who, who influences and enters Judas. He is the one who attempts to mislead Peter. He is the one who attempts to hinder Paul. So there's the devil or Satan, whatever name you want to use, but there are other names also you may be aware. The serpent found in Genesis, the tempter, the wicked one, the deceiver, the accuser of the brethren, the ruler of the world, the prince of the power of the air, the dragon. And there are other names. Clearly someone who is not on your side. Clearly. But in the passage we're looking at, Paul uses the term devil. Now that comes from the Greek. It's, it's the Greek word diabolos. I think in the Spanish they call the devil diablo. Some, I don't know Spanish, but just tell me later if I'm wrong. But the, 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 the devil literally means to throw between. It's where you get the term to throw a monkey wrench into the works. <laughs> and the devil lives to throw a monkey wrench into the plan of God to bring the world back to himself. He tried to throw a monkey wrench into the, the mission of Jesus early on by tempting him in the desert. He tried to throw a monkey wrench into Jesus going into the, to the cross. At the cross, the devil was soundly defeated. Before the cross, he had fury and venom against God and against us. But after the cross, even more. And he seeks to undo us. And it doesn't help that each one of us in the room are born with what the Bible calls a sin nature, a proclivity towards sinning against God, which sometimes plays right into his tricks. We'll talk about his tricks in a few moments. That's the devil. Uh, no, I'm really glad I've got my Bible. I know how the end of the Bible, uh, how the end, uh, the end of the story. I had a Bible for years, and uh, and then some, a number of years ago, the book of Revelation, the binding was loose, and the book of Revelation fell out. And so for a while, I forgot how the story ended. But then I got the Bible rebound, put Revelation back in, and now I know how the story ends. You know how the story ends? The devil and death itself get thrown into hell. But, be, but between today and the day that happens... We need to be aware of who our opponent is. So the devil is a real being. 
And Paul also wants us to know the devil leads an army known for being several things, known for being powerful. Uh, This is what Paul writes. Uh, We're up against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world. Look at those phrases. Evil rulers, authorities, mighty powers. Clearly the devil and his army, they have clout. The devil is called the god of this age, the prince of this world. No wonder he had the freedom to offer Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. No wonder the Apostle John in his first letter in the fifth fifth chapter says, all the world lies under the authority, or under, not the authority, but the power of the evil one. His power. Nobody knows, I don't know, you don't know, Nobody really knows why God allows the enemy so much freedom. C.S. Lewis once wrote, the devil is on a leash. It's a long leash, but it is a leash. And sometimes we wonder, how in the world does God allow the enemy to have so much leash? And we see that happening all around us. Sometimes the, 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 the power and the evilness of the enemy manifested in people and even in governments. Our history books are filled with examples of that, and so are our newspapers. So the enemy is powerful. Paul also wants us to know the devil leads an army known for being wicked. I would imagine in this room, most of us here were raised in a family where you were, they did their best to teach you right from wrong, and, and they, they, they helped you understand manners, or maybe where you work, there is a code of ethics. There is a, a policy dictating how we should behave. Or what's your favorite sport? Or what's your favorite table game? There are rules. John Stott, one of my favorite authors and, and a pastor, he's not around any longer, but he said, you know, the enemy, the devil, Satan, whatever you want to call him, he, he is not known for moral principles or code of honor, or higher feelings. There's no Geneva Convention dictating what weaponry can be used. Everything's fair to him. One of the most wicked things that he's up to is to keep you and me from looking at the cross. Now, after the service, or at the end of the service, we'll be taking communion. There we remember the cross. Maybe that's why Jesus gave us the bread and the cup, to remember the cross. Because when we look at the cross, what do we see? We see the grace of God. We see the love of God. We see God's forgiveness expressed through Christ. And then we are to go as Christians to reflect that to people all around us. The enemy would love to keep us from thinking about the cross because it is then that our mediocrity and our apathetic faith melts away, and we become more steeled in our determination to follow Christ. No wonder Peter says at the end of his letter, be alert, stay awake. The devil is like a roaring wicked lion looking for someone to devour. So he is powerful, he is wicked, but he is also And I forgot to show you that. Paul uses the term evil spirits. He is wicked. He is also cunning. Paul writes, stand firm against all strategies 
of the devil. Some versions of the Bible say stand firm against all methods of the devil. Stand firm against all schemes of the devil. Some say stand firm against all wiles of the devil. Growing up, did you ever watch the Roadrunner cartoon? The name of the coyote who was after him? It was Wile E. Coyote. I, thought it was, I always thought it was Wiley. It's Wile E. Coyote. That's his name. But he was Wiley. He was always looking for a way to capture the roadrunner. Paul says that the devil is wily. In fact, if you look at the, at the, the Greek word for wily or strategies, it looks like the, our English word method. The enemy has methods to come after us. This may be strange to all of you. Maybe you've never thought about spiritual warfare. It's a reality. One of, the, one of the, the best books, maybe the best book ever written about how cunning the enemy is, is the one by C.S. Lewis, The Screwtape Letters. Maybe you've read it. It's, 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 it's a, a series of 31 letters written from Screwtape, who is a senior demon, written to his protege, a junior demon named Wormwood. I bet nobody in this room ever thought about naming their kids Screwtape or Wormwood. Maybe on their worst days. But, but Screwtape is trying to help Wormwood understand how to deceive, distract, accuse, tempt believers, simple believers like you and me. How to get us to not really believe what God said was serious. Sort of like the temptation of Adam and Eve. Trying to, to get us thinking less of ourselves. To forget that our identity is in Christ. I'm so glad Mary Manuela will be here at Met Renew talking about confidence in Christ. The enemy wants to undermine confidence that we may have in Christ. So this book is a satire. It's... it's it's written in a highly cynical way. It has some mild humor to it. But what's not humorous is how real it really is. Which brings us to the third thing Paul wants us to know about the enemy. The devil leads an unseen army. Now just take a moment and look around the room and you see people. You see me. I see you. We are real. Now, take a moment and look at the air. It's not there. Oh, wait, it is. It is. Breathe in. It's there. The air is there. It's just as real as you and me sitting here. And Paul wants us to know the unseen enemy is just as real as you and me. It's not flesh and blood, but it's just as real. Years ago, I had a professor by the name of Timothy Warner. He wrote, wrote a book called Spiritual Warfare. He went on to write other things along with Neil Anderson, who's well known for spiritual warfare. And in the class, he handed, a, he handed us a diagram of, of what the, the seen and the unseen realities look like. Now, I'm going to show you this diagram. Forgive me. We're going back to class. And I'm not going to make it as detailed as the original diagram is, but it's enough to help us realize just how significant this is. So there is the realm of God. There's the throne of God on which God sits. God is spirit. We cannot see him, but he's in heaven, capital H. And then on earth, there are people. 
And there are people who have said, no, thank you, God, because they've never heard of Christ or because they don't want Christ. But like many of us in this room, you've decided, you know what? I can't make it to heaven on my own. I need a Savior who is Jesus. And so when you become a Christ follower, God gives you His Spirit. And His Spirit, one of His jobs is to help us to grow in Christ-likeness. He also intercedes for us and prays for us when we don't even have the words. But there is this, also this, this, this unseen reality. In the Bible, it's called the heavenly realms, lowercase h, the heavenly realms. And this is where the angels are, and we don't know a lot about this. Billy Graham wrote a whole book on angels, and there are books on devils and demons. They have their own part of the heavenly realms, and they're all up to something. We just can't see it. And I don't know if the heavenly realms are up here or right here, unseen. And the job of the angels is to, is to minister to God but also to minister to you and me. The Bible says sometimes we actually, we, we, angels are among us and we don't even know. They can take physical appearance. I, I don't understand all of this, but I believe the Bible. Demons at the beck and call of the devil. And by the way, there's no neat narrative in Scripture that explains how all of this happened, what we can piece together is that the devil, Satan, was once an angel in heaven because of his pride and resistance to God's authority was cast out of heaven and he coaxed many other angels to go with him who are now called demons. And his job with believers is to harass us, to accuse us, to distract us, to to tempt us, to deceive us, to get us to not believe God. And his job with, put it back on there, his job with unbelievers is to, the scripture says that unbelievers are in chains behind bars and spiritually blind. And what they attempt to do is to keep them from Christ, which is why it's so important for you and me to live out the Christian life in front of them and to share the gospel of Jesus with them. So that's a picture of the unseen realities. Now, I would say this, that there are some Christians who give way much, too too much attention to this and the devil and demons, but I would think too many of us don't give enough attention to it. Now, that's enough on the character and the nature of our enemy. God has not left us to fend for ourselves. Surrounding the middle part of what we just read are these words we read earlier. A final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. Therefore, and then the part we just read on the devil, and then he ends with, therefore put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. And then he goes on to talk about individual pieces of armor. When I had the privilege of working with Kent State University um, as their chaplain for a number of years, I got to know the equipment manager, Cliff. Every team has an equipment manager. Cliff was amazing. Before every game, he would set out the helmets, He would set out all the equipment, and the players would come in, and there the helmet would be. There the equipment would be. But Cliff would not put it on for them. 
they had to put it on themselves so they could go out in the field and play the game and not get hurt facing their opponent. God has set out everything we need to stand firm against our opponent. We need to put it on. Now, over the next few weeks, we're going to go into this in depth, but let me just give you a quick preview, all right? There is the belt of truth. That's the truth of God's word. I don't understand it all, but I believe it all. I think this also means telling the truth, being a person of integrity. Then he goes on to the breastplate of righteousness. When you put your faith in Christ, you receive the righteousness of God. That, that's, what make, that, that's what makes you eligible to stand before God one day without judgment. But I think it also means right living. It means being a moral person. We'll talk more about it next week. The boots of peace. This enables you to stand firm with the peace of God in the face of the enemy. Not running, not turning your back. I think it also means a willingness to take the gospel wherever you go with those boots of peace. Shield of faith. That's so we can fight off the fiery arrows or darts of the enemy. Accusation, distraction, deception, temptation. And then there is the helmet of salvation which guards our mind. And what you believe about God and what you believe about yourself in Christ. So important. And then lastly, the sword of the Spirit. That's, that's the only offensive weapon among all the armor. We stand against the enemy with the Word of God, just like Jesus fought off the devil in the desert by quoting Scripture. Let me tell you, you will never have God reveal Himself to you if you're not in the Bible. The sword of the Spirit is important. Now that brings us to the end of the pieces of armor. We're going to talk more about this over the next few weeks in depth. Be sure to be here. But Paul adds these words. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. This, this, is, this is what I imagine. Paul's sitting in prison. He's looking at a guard, a Roman guard, who he might be chained to. Imagining that guard, imagining that soldier decked out in all of his armor, ready for battle. And on the battlefield, he kneels down. All that armor and prays, God, help me in this battle as I face my enemy. I want to ask you if you pray. That's an important part also of standing firm against our enemy. In a few moments, we're going to have communion together. What I'd like to do as we move toward communion is simply guide us in prayer. I'm going to, I'm going to pray and then prompt you to just take a quiet moment and pray along the lines of what I've just prayed. All right? So with that, if you wouldn't mind just bowing your heads with me and we'll pray and then have communion together. And as we pray, I'm going to talk to God, but I'm also going to cite some of the things we've even talked about regarding the enemy. We do not want to be deceived. It is a real thing. 
Lord, at the cross, you proved your love for me. The enemy tells me your love for me is conditional. Don't let me believe such a lie because I know there is nothing I can do to make you love me less or love me more. Thank you for that. Now just take a quiet moment and talk to God about his love. Lord, at the cross, I see you taking my sin and shame onto yourself. The enemy throws my sin and shame into my face all the time. Fill my mind with Paul's soaring words, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. A moment of silence. Lord, at the cross, not only was the penalty of my sin eradicated, the power of sin over me was eviscerated. The enemy has great power, is wicked and cunning, but you are God without equal. Please give me wisdom to use the armor you have given me and protect me from deception and strengthen me in times of temptation. Lord, at the cross, I see your steel determination to carry out your mission, taking my sin to the cross. The enemy is angered that I am a Christian and now is determined to lead me down a path of apathy and mediocrity. Please help me to look at the cross and reflect your passion to finish well. Lord, at the cross, I see majesty and greatness clothed in humility. The creator of my soul taking my sin onto himself. The enemy tempts me to put myself first, make myself a big deal, make myself something at the expense of others. Please help me follow the call and example of my Savior to serve and love others. Lord, others in this room and Christians everywhere want what I want. Wisdom and strength to follow you. The enemy stands opposed to us. Please give me and all those in Christ the ability to stand firm with courage. Lord, at the cross, we see an image that is hard to forget. The enemy would like us to forget because his fate was sealed at that time. The enemy would like us to forget because he knows it means our freedom from him. You have told us not to forget, to remember your death. And so in our hands, we hold the very thing you told us to do so we would not forget. So we would keep our eyes on the cross so our apathy and our mediocrity would melt away. So we would, so we would be 
drawn to, to love others as you have loved us, to show grace as you, as you have shown grace to us, to forgive others as, as you have forgiven us. Just in a quiet moment, confess to God anything you need to confess. And now in the next breath, thank God for his forgiveness. And now in your next breath, a commitment to live without apathy and mediocrity, but determination to follow Christ. You'll want to take off the top layer and hold the bread in your hand. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body given, broken for you. Whenever you eat this, do it in remembrance of me. Let's eat it together. And then he took the cup and said, this cup represents my blood shed for you. It represents the new covenant. Whenever you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. Borrowing from the prayer of Paul in his letter to the Ephesians, chapter 3. Hear this prayer. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep His love is. May you experience the love of Christ. Though it is too great to understand fully, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. It was good to worship with you today. We, we talked a lot about our enemy, our adversary, our opponent. I would say this, don't put your concentration there. Put your concentration on the armor of God who gives us strength to stand firm. Put your concentration on prayer where real power comes from. And we'll see you back in the next few weeks as we explore the armor of God. Have a good day and a good week.